This is the I'm Not Playing a Podcast, episode 54. I am your host, Joel Amidon. Thank you for joining me on this never-ending quest to figure out how to teach better. Today on the podcast, we're just, we're going to go for it. It's the month of Joel. It's October, and October's my birthday month, and so I like to do things for my birthday. And I can't think of a better way to kick it off than with this conversation that I'm about to share with you with my two friends, Crystal Kellenick Craig and Jen Wolf. And the reason I'm having the two of them on is we had an opportunity to collaborate over a manuscript that's going to be coming out in the nctm professional journal in a little bit and knowing that they've had some experiences um doing some editing right editing together and thinking about how to use platforms and you know ever since i've gone over the 50 episode mark of the podcast and here's some people talking about it and whatnot i'm just thinking like how do i steward this opportunity how do i steward this platform well and so you know the podcast is all about teaching better and i think the podcast does something towards teaching and so i'm thinking about how do i teach better through this platform and so really this conversation that i'm about to have is really about thinking about how to podcast better but also too they're just amazing teachers and then amazing thought leaders so when i think about how do I get better as a professional? How do I get better as a teacher? I think about conversations like the, the one I'm about to share with Jen and Crystal who think really deeply about what they do. They care very much about their students and they kind of model the kind of teacher that I want to be. And so that's kind of the, you know, hopefully throughout these episodes, you know, just like conversation with I had with Joe Dye. I mean, he was someone that provided me a vision of the kind of teacher I wanted to be. And now, you know, thinking about Jen and Crystal, they're providing a vision of the kind of teacher educator I want to be. But then also too, I, I know I probably do a couple of things too that they like as well. And so that's how we do this. We are getting better together. And, um, and, and that's kind of the spirit of this episode. So I don't want to delay too long. They're really great. They introduce themselves. We talk about, you know, uh, lots of different topics within here, but it's a great conversation. Great one to start off the month of Joel. Uh, that's what we call it to my family. And uh, so, hey, it's my podcast. So why not? Let's kick off the month of Joel with this conversation with Crystal Kellnick Craig and Jen Wolf. Crystal, Jen, thank you for joining me on this episode of the Evident Planet podcast. How are you? Good. Fantastic. I love fantastic. That's one of my favorites. So um, love that we are going to get to have this conversation. We'll get into it. It's a little bit different than some other conversations that we've had on the podcast. But uh, first, quick, before we get too far into it, Crystal, can you just uh, briefly introduce yourselves to the listeners? Sure. Uh, My name is Crystal Kalanick-Craig. I'm an associate professor of curriculum and instruction at the University of Texas at San Antonio. And what I learned from our episode of the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast, you also were a teacher here in Mississippi too, right? Yeah, I was in... uh, well, I lived in Columbus, Mississippi, but I taught in Amory, Mississippi. Um, so, yes. There you go. Fantastic. And Jen, could you just give a quick introduction? I know we've uh, heard you before uh, at a previous episode. We'll link to that in the show notes, but could you do a quick little intro? Sure. I'm Jen Wolf. I'm coming to you from Tucson, Arizona, where I'm an associate professor of mathematics education in the Department of Math. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm excited to be here. Fantastic. So we um, had an opportunity to do some work together recently. So you all were editors of the Ear to the Ground um, department uh, for the new NCTM journal, and now it's 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 slipping me. What's the what's the title of the journal? 
Math teacher, learning and teaching. There you go. Fantastic. Right? PK through 12, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. We'll put a link in the show notes. This is great. All right. But anyway, uh, so I had a chance to talk about the podcast uh, in, in, a few, in an upcoming. Uh, I've, I've got to look at the proofs. I just got the email today to look at the proofs of it. So I think it'll be out fairly quickly. And so thinking about the podcast and, and you all were positioning me to think about the podcast and what, what, what am I doing with it? And that really got me thinking, what am I doing with the podcast? And so wanting to have a conversation of we have these opportunities as educators to think about what do we do outside of the classroom that helps us not only as teachers, but then we also get a chance to think of like, well, what are we doing with that, with that responsibility? Like, what am I doing with this podcast? And so I was like, Hey, I've got some editors and maybe I can get them to come help me think about some of these deep issues about what, well, what's the purpose of this? Like, how do we, how do we do this thing? Well, of the Amazon Planet podcast, how do we do that? Well, but then just thinking about as teachers who are very experienced and in the classroom doing some great things, what might be some possibilities? So I, I had some questions that um, put together and now we just want to have a good conversation. So just to get an insight into like what our different experiences are. So can you describe any roles you've taken beyond being in the classroom that have helped you become a better cheat, a better teacher? I don't know whoever wants to take that first. You can touch your nose or whatever. It's a digital medium. Who wants to go first? Okay. <laughs> I guess I'll go first. Fantastic. <laughs> Um, so there are some formal roles that I've taken that have helped me to become a better teacher and a better, um, person who's in the field of education and math education. And I think you've kind of already touched on it in terms of my responsibility as co-editor of the ear to the ground department, which namely seeks out those spaces in which teachers are doing great work and how we can elevate their ideas, their novel practices, their strategies, and to really celebrate that. So where we can learn more collectively as a community. Um, But not everybody gets that opportunity to be a co-editor of a journal like MTLT. And so some of the things that I've done uh, over my career for the past 20 years is really participate in professional developments, whether they be ones that I've done with colleagues in which they've invited me to their institution. So I know that uh, Dr. Amani Gaffney and Deborah Ball invited me with a number of other scholars to go ahead and think about the ways in which equitable teaching practices can be noticed and seen in math teaching. And so that was multiple years that we would get together and we would talk about these things. And uh, we really formed a nice little group in which we could be brave about sharing what we knew. And I used that then to come back to my institution to also share in those ideas. The informal spaces that I use um, are ones that I've learned from my students. So I primarily teach juniors and seniors at the four-year institution of UTSA. And they are on lots of social media platforms. And so a lot of my colleagues roll their eyes, but TikTok (laughs) is actually a really exciting place because there are some amazing teachers that are on there. And one of them that I love um, is Honest Teacher Vibes. And so Mm -hmm. she has these really great short TikTok videos in which she kind of processes through some funny moments, not so funny moments. 
in her practice. And it just, it always regrounds me in terms of how practicing teachers are seeing their work on that platform. And there are other uh, early career teachers that are on there that are looking for help, looking for advice, just as a sounding board. There are ways in which we can find ourselves opportunities to connect with our students. Um, and so I've used that platform specifically to go ahead and not only make connections to my students, but then also learn and get further connected into what our practicing teachers, or at least those that are on TikTok, like not everybody's on TikTok, but those that they're doing. So that also would include Twitter and some other social media platforms in which teachers really start to build community beyond conferences and beyond journals and beyond some of those more formal spaces. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I mean, to, to, you know, talking about the department editorship and then thinking about these other like kind of structured formal plate, but then all the way down, not down, but just to, just to a different space. That's like a little less structured, but there's like less barrier to entry in some of those spaces too, as well. Yeah. And definitely more localized. So it's yeah. a teacher in a school that's talking about their practices. And mm-hmm. so it doesn't like what you just said, it doesn't have to be filtered through an editor or an editorial board. So that yeah. helps. Powerful things. Jen, how about you? Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to follow up what Crystal said. That was brilliant. Um, and thinking about things that I've tried to do and growing in my practice. Um, yeah, I think part of, you know, going on and becoming an editor, because Crystal and I were also co-editors for, before it became MTLT for different departments. Like I, I worked with the informing practice department of um, the middle grades journal. Yeah. I was co-editor there. And so I was able to take on that position and kind of challenge myself to say, okay, how do we really bridge connections to um, theory and practice? And so I think being a co-editor of that journal kind of opened up some, me constantly asking the question, okay, I've read through this, could a teacher take what's been written and immediately put it into practice? And if not, how can I um, give educative and constructive feedback to the people who have submitted to the department in a way that makes it um, where teachers could take these practices into um, like tomorrow, the next day, right? And I think I've kind of carried that through more as um, my teaching has evolved, like more, how, how can I bring in um, different things that I participated in and, you know, like webinars are more, maybe when we think about informal and formal spaces, yeah, yeah. like really thinking about um, listening to podcasts and not necessarily in the field of math education, but also looking to other places, right? Like if I, we look into um, people who are doing research on racism and race and thinking about people who are doing work more recently on like anti-racist, anti-biased teaching, how am I bringing that in? Like um, to create and co-create spaces where my, my students and myself um, feel like we can bring our whole selves to, to teaching and uh, learning like these more identity affirming spaces. Um, I've also done things like um, working with young kids like K-8. No, I guess this was like K-3. Um, I worked with mindfulness meditation. Oh, yeah. So there are ways that I've been bringing some of that into practice too. Um, yeah, that's what I'm thinking about right now. There's some other things. Just to piggyback on the mindfulness, Dr. Wolf uh, recently did a keynote 
for the Association of Math Teacher Educators Affiliate in Texas. And before she started the more formal aspects of her presentation, she kind of invited all of us, probably like 50 or 60 people on the Zoom call, to, to practice those aspects of, you know, being grounded and kind of really centering in with your, your mind-body connection. And I do have to say that afterwards, uh, all of the participants were just like blown away because they had never heard somebody start off a presentation like that. And so it was a really nice reflection of what uh, Jen preaches and, and talks about in her practice, but then also does that in those formal spaces with the keynote. And so it was really nice to see and experience. Yeah, and that's an example too. Thank you for sharing that, Crystal. That, that's an example of what a practice that I'd seen in other webinars I had been to. And I recalled how I felt in doing that. So I'm like, I'm just going to try it. So I did it in the virtual space and I'm continuing to do that in the classroom nice. too. But I'm also always looking out for, okay, here are the practices I'm doing. How might they be perceived as problematic or how might they be perceived as not for everyone? And so I want to keep that in mind too. Like I invite that breathing right to the space, but for some people I need to be aware that um, maybe that breathing isn't best for them. Maybe mm -hmm. that's not something they can do in this moment. Why is this person having us engage in this? This isn't the work we're supposed to be doing. Um, so there may be some pushbacks from that, but it's always an invitation. They don't have to right. participate. And I bring that up because that's another thing I've learned in the different roles I've taken on both formally and informally, um, really thinking what's being centered in that moment and who is it for? And then just questioning and pushing back on practices that we've always kind of engaged in that are considered good practices. But have you sat back and really like thought about, is this good? And why is it good? And who is it good for? Anything that I choose is going to privilege some over others. So how am I making um, those decisions? But also, how am I making those decisions in community? Right? Um, if I say that this is our classroom space, how am I making students feel like they are part of that space? Or if I'm working with in-service teachers, how am I truly making it a collaborative effort where we they truly believe when I say I'm learning from and with you, they believe it because I'm backing it up with the actions. And so the different roles we've kind of described, um, I think have helped me, helped me become a better educator in that way. Yeah, that, that intentionality of action, that, that's, 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 kind of one of the reasons for wanting to have this discussion is like there are how do we mind well mindfully think about the things that we do to like because you were given time like the this organization gave you time to do something and you chose to use it in this way and to have like that this represents an intention that I'm putting out in in front of this uh, this gathering of teacher educators and there's a reason for it and but then also to to think about the entirety of who's experiencing it and knowing that, okay, it's an invitation. It's not like, there's a lot there. <laughs> it's a lot just to, to think about with regards to how do we, you know, again, consider our actions and think about how do those line up with what I stand for and what I'm trying to accomplish in, with this time and space that's been given to me. Mm -hmm. But also too, like, I just want, wanted to point, like I had certain intentions, <laughs> there you go back with this question and think about roles. And I think initially I was thinking of titles, you know what I'm saying? Like, Hey, what are these titles that you have had outside of the classroom 
that have helped you become a better teacher. But you think about it, you, and and then uh, the question what it became like, what are these roles? I mean, even when Crystal said like TikTok, like as a TikTok participant or a TikTok creator or whatever, like or consumer, however you want to take that, or even someone who practices mindfulness, that's a role that we take that we can then bring in to think about how we become a better teacher. I recently, or not recently, I, I used to do jujitsu. I was pretty into it. And so uh, until, I, what? I just, yeah, yeah, I'm a blue belt. What? I, I can, I, I don't know if I can hold my own anywhere, but I, yeah, I even have a, I have a medal over there hanging on a wall that I won. It was bad. Well, I'm going to tell a, you right now, I'm not going to test that out. I'm just going <laughs> to take your word for it. <laughs> now, the thing that, and, and so like, okay, so in a, uh, this is just an extreme example of this. Like what's a role? Like, so as I was a jujitsu roller or whatever. So, you know, thinking about jujitsu, it was something where you'd see it on TV, you you know, with UFC or stuff like that, you'd see it in these places, or then you'd heard people talk about it and then, you know, went and did it and, you know, learned a lot about, cause you get into it. Someone's trying to like choke you and put your arm in weird spice and you get all, you get all excited and you're breathing hard and like stuff, but you realize the better you get at it. And again, I'm not very good at it, but you get calm. Like someone is trying to choke and like the best thing for me to be in this situation is calm and think about how am I going to respond in this situation and really, and slow down, slow down, be calm. And like, I'm like, what a great lesson for teaching. <laughs> like, you know, there's all this stuff going on. The worst thing for me to do is to speed up, talk faster, try to shove as much thing. It's just like, let's calm down. Let's take in the information. Let's think about how to respond thoughtfully. And like, it was one of those like roles that I that that helps me become uh, a better teacher, and I think that's that's we have these all over the place, all these interests and things like you know podcasts and other things that we are into, or um, um, I know I know that pets are a big thing in this group too. So like you know. My, my, walking my dog and thinking about how that, you know, being present with my dog is, is a pretty good thing to be, you know, <laughs> on a daily basis. And like, how can I, I'm checking in with my dog. How do I check in with my, with my students and, and things like that? I don't know. It's kind of a, I kind of got off on a weird tangent there, but, but just think about the different roles that we have, all these various roles and we can think about them through this lens of how to, how does it make us a better teacher? Yeah. And I think um, adding to that, thinking about roles, initially you said you thought about, okay, these titles, but I'd also think about like different aspects of our identities mm. right, that play a role yes. in becoming um, a better teacher. Uh, one of the things that I will say is that when you mentioned we need to slow down, like there's kind of this glorification of busy and speed. And I think back to why did it take a global pandemic for me to do that? Like, mm. more, like yeah. get, I mean, I was, you know, like, like a lot of people, kind of pushed to the edge, right? And it kind of forced us to figure out, okay, what roles can I take? Um, what boundaries do I need to put into place? I want to be able to show up for the people in my life that I care about, my students, families, um, everything. So how are we slowing down, being intentional, being purposeful um, in the classroom, trusting our students and recognizing that we're all navigating the best that we can. And I just keep thinking back to, you know, this, how the pandemic really kind of forced that, forced that kind of slowing down. And um, Crystal and myself and Naomi Jessup have had a lot of conversations about that. We recently collaborated together on a book chapter that's going to come out later. I think Joel, you also have a chapter in that book. 
Oh, really? Yeah, okay. it's the one Karen Hollibrand. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. About online teaching mm-hmm. during a pandemic. And so we had a lot of great conversations about why are we doing what we're doing? What's the best to do? What are ways that we've engaged in teaching practices? Is this going back to the idea of things that are problematic or just right. straight up racist or carceral pedagogies? How are we doing these things before? And why did it take this kind of push into the virtual environment to get us to stop and recognize and question more deeply our intentions and what we were doing. Mm-hmm. So that was me going off on a, another tangent. No, that's good. Well, like I also kind of wonder if <clears throat> part of our roles in terms of recognizing our humanity is to remind ourselves even long after we go back to whatever this new normal is going to be. Mm-hmm. And so I can already see uh, and hear from teachers that are saying, you know, they want to increase my class sizes. They don't want to necessarily give us all of the PPE that we need. They aren't necessarily requiring masks or vaccines. And so I think that it's going to take a lot of constant reminding of you can only do so much when your cup is, you know, yeah, yeah. full and and full in terms of like you're you're not running on an empty tank. And because we know that white supremacy and the hegemony constantly um, is ever present, that it's going to take a lot of reminders of, you know what, maybe I can't do that. Maybe I have to say no. And maybe I have to just take a pause and not check my emails right now um, because it's, it's always going to come back. So that role of reminder uh, and having that institutional memory, not capital I institutional, but more mm-hmm. like the memory of what we've all gone through and are continuing to go through is going to just be another role that I think um, will be really important in moving in the future. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that I want to take with from being in the pandemic, I think there, there was something, there was a need that opened up big time when I realized I don't know how to do what I'm going to be asked to do in the fall. And then I, you know, had a conversation with Jen and she's like all this stuff she had, she accumulated all this material and had, had really thought out how she was teaching, uh, teaching her courses online and, and doing some of the things that I was going to need to do in the fall. And I was just like, help me. And like, and, and knowing that, that there was just this, Cause sometimes you get that thing. I can do it myself. I can figure this out. There's a, but there was a problem that I could not figure out myself. And I, and I know like, that's something I, I just need to get over. Cause that's like, we are smarter together from our, one of our favorite books on, uh, on teaching with complex instruction. But anyway, but thinking about like needed help and needed to collaborate with somebody in order to make things better in order to create a great experience for my students. And that's something I know that I am doing a very good job at trying to take with, um, I have a, get an opportunity to work with one of our graduates from last year. She's, uh, helps me with my teaching and like, I'm deferring to her a lot with like, Hey, what, what was working well here? What was in, more than I've used to versus like kind of dictating what we were, what was going to happen. And she has so much great insight because she was in that role just a year ago. And like the, and there's, you know, other examples too, of just leaning on others more and more, um, not, so that we can all do better together. Right. And so I, that's something I'm trying to keep present so that it's not something that fades away as 
we get further, well, not, we're not further away yet. We're still within. So I don't know if there's other things that, that made people think about. Well, I was just thinking you brought up a really good point. Thank you for sharing Joel. And I never stopped sharing your stuff, Jen. Oh my goodness. I just shared <laughs> well, it today. It's helpful. I think it's interesting, right? Because I'm still, one of the things I've been doing is working a lot on um, identity and thinking through and unpacking like my identities. So I don't think I would have shared what I shared if you and I hadn't been in relationship with one another in terms of care. Yeah. So I bring up the identity piece because a huge part of my identity and experiences that I had kind of inform who I am now. And I've never felt like, and this goes beyond post imposter syndrome, I think. I've just never, oh, you know, I've had these experiences where my ideas were either taken up by other people or when I shared them. And then there was times when I just didn't share because I was afraid of the repercussions that might happen. Like, um, just to give an example, I mean, I grew up in Kentucky. Um, I'm multiracial, um, identify as a Asian American, Thai, my mom's Thai. And there weren't a lot of people that looked like me. And so in the, and this is a common experience, I think with some people who identify in this way that um, we're often silenced or when we do speak, we might unintentionally represent a whole group of people Mm. and their ideas. And so now they have these stereotypes of what, you know, an Asian American might be like or things that they say and they do. And so getting back at the fact that that invitation or creating identity affirming spaces where people will want to share with you. And when you're in community with people, when you're talking, um, really we're building on each other's ideas together, but we're also pushing back, right? We're also calling out, calling in. And so all that to say is I don't think I would be as open to sharing or putting my voice out there when I, when I'm not in spaces that don't feel safe for me, safe in that I can share, um, you know, different ideas and feel like people can take those up and put them into practice kind of thing. That's why it's easy. I don't know, to talk with you or talk with Crystal or talk with Naomi. It's just different places where it's identity affirming, but it's also people who take like strengths-based approaches and think about how can we, how can we, instead of using the deficit as a starting point, how are we using assets as a starting point? Um, okay, I'm kind of going everywhere, so I'll pause. No, here. that's beautiful. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> Crystal, do you have anything to add to that? No, it's beautiful. <laughs> no, that, Y'all don't I, need my words after that. <laughs> that's right, exactly. Yeah, it's like, and we're done. No, <laughs> no, I, I, you know, having those, having all like the conversations, you know, at, at a meal at PMNA or whatever, like all these, the conferences that we have and like where you, de- what I always say is when we're building relationships, you're like developing a, a pipeline in order to exchange of ideas and say, and you, and if you can't talk to somebody about their day or their favorite movie, or, you know, what do you think about the Thanos and snap. I don't know, like whatever, <laughs> like having those conversations, if you can't have those conversations, how can you have these other conversations where like from both of you, I've learned, I've learned a lot about how to do this thing better, um, of, you know, teaching and 
learn about how to think about my actions, think about intention. Again, just like the intent, the purpose of this conversation, but thinking about I, that happens exactly how you said, because you established that relationship first, right? And I think that's a huge criticism of a lot of our organizations, at least for the past however many years, is that there haven't been a lot of uh, opportunities for early career teachers or early career teacher educators to be able to create those safe spaces, safe mm-hmm. and brave spaces, so that they can develop their network, so that they can develop those caring relationships. And some opportunities have been afforded to some of us than others. I'm just thinking of the STAR program. Yeah. Um, and I know that AMTE is actively seeking ways to kind of expand that, but that there's always going to be opportunities to grow so that uh, people don't have to seek those spaces out themselves, uh, but that those are more embedded as long threads throughout all of the organizations. And it's going to take a while for it to finally become front and center. Um, but yeah, it's hard to grow as a person and as a teacher, if you know you you don't necessarily find that that space that will affirm and reaffirm who you are, um, for you to be able to take those steps into growing and learning and thinking. And I feel like some of that too, Crystal, what you're saying it has to be built with your students. It has to be built with your peers and your colleagues because my view of what safe might be might be quite different from your view of safe or trust or respect or the you know different agreements of interaction that we talk about with our uh, in professional developments or in our pre-service teacher courses in collaboration in these um, you know webinars we go to different things right just that space of okay I say space that's brave and safe and identity affirming but what do I mean by that right. um, what do you mean by that like you hear that phrase okay, what does that sound like to you? What does that look like to you? Um, yeah, so I think it's important that when we, we say that we want to cultivate these spaces, that we're doing it in community with the people that we're, we're learning from and with. So that kind of gets us into this next part. Is like thinking about we have these, maybe we've been given stewardship over some spaces. So like, I don't know, whoever hits download on these podcasts or other things that we do or, whoever looks at our writing or if we're in charge of a department, like why is it important to, you know, and think about stewardship of those spaces to share the good stuff that is going on in classrooms and other spaces that both shine a light and spread the word about good teaching. What do you think, Jen? Um, I think it's important because there's lots of voices out there that are doing phenomenal work in the classroom, but, often time to to tag on like social media we might do some doom scrolling <laughs> we tend to hear a lot about all the things that aren't going well yeah. um, just lots of negativity um, deficit orientations around our students there's a deficit orientation around teachers too and so in the different roles like we talked about before how can we amplify those voices at the margins where they're doing tremendous work, right? Um, and there's lots of things that teachers are doing that are pretty awesome, but there's where's the space for them to share it? Where's yeah. the outlet for them to share it? Um, I think 
again, going back to that connection between practice and theory, like working out in school districts and different communities and knowing the, the space that you're serving, how am I bringing these awesome ideas of things that teachers are doing in their classroom into pre-service teacher education, which is, you know, mm -hmm. or an in-service professional development. And again, it, it kind of goes back to that connection there. I agree. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Go, go, ahead. go, Krista. No, I was just going to say the reason why I said, Jen, what do you think is because my first reaction to that question is like, why not? Why is it not like, it seemed to be maybe uh, a question that just necessitated um, that it was already assumed that it's important to go ahead and share the good work in teaching. I think what I grapple with and what I liked about what Jen just said is that it not only helps us to be able to have reminders of the good things that are happening in classrooms that counteract, that serve as a counter narrative, um, but I would also piggyback and build on and say it also is a reflection of our own practices. So emphasizing strength-based asset-oriented thinking and saying that if we don't have necessarily an assumption that you know, teachers aren't doing their job or they're not doing good work, that if we can say they're doing amazing work, especially under these circumstances. And so it is incredibly important to remind ourselves of the great work that they're doing. So my response of like, well, why not? Then kind of seems um, like it's dismissing the really important reminder of making sure that we have those opportunities to foreground asset-oriented and strength-based ways that we can see our practice as teachers, both at the higher education space and also in the K-12 space. Um, the part that I grapple with is the venues in which those good practices and those uh, strengths that teachers bring that are working uh, to cultivate with their students um, is really complicated because mm -hmm. it's all steeped within hierarchical organizational structures that oftentimes, and I think Sam is going to, uh, Sam Otten is going to talk about this at PMENA, uh, that have kind of served, not kind of, they've served as gatekeepers. So if you go through all the editorial hoops, then you can finally get yourself into one of these big name journals. Right. If you tack on, you know, a, a PhD, um, colleague that's at an institute of higher ed, then you can go ahead and submit to this particular journal. If you have the, the understanding of the ways that some of these articles are written and maybe the processes of getting reviewer feedback and how to incorporate that and not internalize it, because sometimes the reviewer feedback can be really, really violent, yeah. <laughs> not good. Uh, it really turns a lot of practicing teachers off from sharing their good work because they've seen what happens when those spaces aren't humanizing. And so I think that it's a constant reminder of there's great work that's being done. How do we rechange the system to get that out so that it can be reaffirming and it can also help others to, to learn and embrace those amazing practices. And that feels like a tall order, but I'm here for it. Like um, I'm here to try. Well then, I guess then that goes back into, well, how do we get better at sharing, right? So like thinking about uh, even what Jen was talking about earlier with creating these safe spaces where, you know, even people feel safe to share, like that, that they have something to contribute that, no, what you, what you have done is valuable. How do we get better 
at, at, at this idea of sharing these uh, awesome things that are happening? Well, one thing that comes to mind when you say that, um, Joel, is I, I think about giving credit where credit is due, right? Mm. I think there's times yeah. when people will share things and then their ideas or the things that they share get taken up in ways where the original author of the work has not been given proper credit. And so I think if people were being more intentional about transparency and amplifying in ways that give credit where credit is due, I think that is one way yeah. to get better at sharing. Mm -hmm. Or then recognize there's times when people aren't, aren't going to share because of, I was thinking about something that Marion Dingle had posted or maybe it was someone else too. And it was like a thread that I saw where often people who present, especially people who identify uh, as people of the global majority or people of color, they'll share their work, right? And they'll put these PowerPoints or slide decks together. And then at the end, you ask for the slide deck or you ask for the recording and it puts that person in a really difficult position because while they might want to share the work, it's been taken out of context or will be taken up in other mm -hmm. ways or people will use it. Um, and that's their intellectual work. Like they've thrown right. all these ideas together and they've maybe built on other people's ideas. But that's something that I think, especially in this last couple of years with the pandemic, that this kind of like um, culture of like constantly consuming maybe and not necessarily being present or digesting and then thinking about how it connects to your practice. Um, now, and I'm going to give you kudos on that. Like that whole deck that you shared with, I mean, every single idea that came from somewhere else, like we know exactly where it came from. And so then when I'm using it, I could say, I got this from Jen, but then this is the other author that, it, you know, that originally, that it really came from. And it's like the intention and action, right? There you go. That you're following up right there. I'm trying to work against that, that white supremacy culture, I think too, of competition, right? And I think that happens a lot in academia where it's like, how, how do I get better at just outdoing someone else, which is not something I've ever done. I've always thought, okay, how can I become a better version of myself, right? Yeah. Not how can I compete with someone else? Like, what's the point of that? I don't, I mean, yeah. Or, or our whole profession is how to, to make yeah. somebody else become a better perversion, better version of them. Like, how can I make better versions of teachers? How can I, you know, whatever. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Jen, I interrupted you. No, not at all. I, I think that's one way I think we get a better at sharing, but I think sometimes it's little things too. Maybe it's not so little, but like, I felt very invited to share with you, Joel or Crystal, these ideas, because there's ways that you're affirming ideas but you also put questions out there that push my thinking. And so then that kind of encourages me to share ideas that I might not otherwise share because, okay, here's one thing I often say, um, and I'm trying to get better with it. What am I saying that's different from what other people are saying? Or what am I doing in my classrooms or in my work with professional teacher development that's different from what other people are doing? And I, I recognize that, well, wait a minute, a couple of things. Is that me kind of still being in that place where I feel silenced? Or is it, and or, 
is it something where, um, okay, I lost my train of thought. Um, what was I saying? Well, I think you're saying about why, what, is, what are you doing that's different than others? Like, so, and you're oh. not being hesitant about sharing. There we go. That sometimes, yeah, it's it's not so much that I'm sharing something different, but the idea that maybe the way that I say it, the tone I use or the different language I use, that message will resonate better with someone else. Yeah. Right. And I've had this conversation with Mandy Jansen um, before about I, I've gone to several of her talks on rough draft math. And I swear every time, whether it's the book study that you did with her on your, your podcast or the teaching, I think both, right? Yeah. Both podcasts. Um, that every time I listen to her and other people who are doing rough draft thinking and rough draft math, I always take something else from the conversation or something yeah, yeah. else that they say, because they're able to deliver it in a way that resonates with me. And so that's one way I think I've gotten, or we could get better at sharing is recognizing that we all have something to contribute. And sometimes the messages you say and the way that you say them will resonate with different people. Maybe that doesn't address the question, but I'm like, no. that's one way I've gotten better at sharing. Yeah, yeah. The question, no, why is it that I'm not sharing? Yeah, I think it totally does. Just because um, that's the beauty of being human beings is that we may have the same conversation content wise, but the takeaways can be interpreted in lots of different ways because we're not the same person even whenever we started this conversation. Um, and so I think that there's a beauty and also a vulnerability to that in terms of saying something that maybe I might have published, you know, seven or eight years ago. I might not necessarily write it in the exact same way because I've grown and learned in different ways. And so there's always new opportunities to think about sharing and growing and learning. So where it's not in isolation because learning and learning in isolation is not oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we talked to your know, previous conversation, we talked a little bit about this idea of shoulder tapping. And so, and maybe it even kind of getting back to what Jen was talking about, like that those someone that's on the edge that, you know, they're doing some great things, but maybe they they just need a little, just a little, well, a little shoulder tap to say like, you know, this is what you're doing is important work and needs to be shared. So, like, how do we, how do we do that? <laughs> how do we do that better? Like, that, that means like being there in being aware of classrooms and spaces that we might not have access to, or like, or could be fringe. I don't know. How do we, how do we get better at that idea of shoulder tapping? That's what I struggle with. Yeah. Just because it depends on your sphere of influence and your network. So I would have never, ever, ever likely have encountered the Thoda's rights of the learner had I oh, not yeah. been a doc student with Aaron Turner and Marcy Wood. And the only reason why that was the case is because they had the Samela project uh, down there with Martha Seville and colleagues. And so I think about fortunate opportunities and then from those fortunate opportunities, way, ways to make purposeful opportunities for others. So figuring out, you know, uh, different ways that we can 
uh, have Olga present at the Mathematics Educator Appreciation Day and the ways in which I can share her webinars and the ways in which I can um, gently encourage her to create a Twitter account so that then <laughs> we can start tweeting at her and she can see all of these great things that are directly because of her influence so that everybody doesn't have to be a doc student in 2007 and learn from Aaron Turner and Marcy Wood. Yeah. And it's tough because Twitter can be a scary place. Twitter is a scary place. It's not always a safe place for people. Right. Um, TikTok is not a safe place. And so the ways in which we can carve out those opportunities to build network, to build community, that also gets back to this idea that I really like Jen mentioning is giving credit where credit is due is something that I know with my paper that I have in democracy and education, um, oftentimes they cite me, but if you read the paper, it directly says Olga Torres came up with these ideas, but unfortunately mm -hmm. in the citation, it gets lost. And so that's what Priya and I did with a new paper that came out is that we put in the paper itself that we are noticing that she is not in the forefront. And so now we're changing it to the Torres rights of the learner so that you always need to remember that these are her ideas full stop. Nice. And that all of these papers are just interpretations of her ideas. And so the way that we can get better at sharing is to be more intentional in that way. So that in those formal spaces, we're re-interrupting this narrative of whose ideas get elevated and who gets associated with what ideas. And that... There's ways in which we can use our positions, whether they're at editorial ships or they are putting a name on a syllabus as a reading that our students need to take, or it's inviting scholars to conduct keynotes at state or national or international organizations. I think we just have to do a better job of understanding our sphere of influences and to think that there's always got to be a better job about creating more strong networks that find people that might not necessarily have a tether to our sphere of influence. Right. Absolutely. Jen, how about you? How do we get better at this shoulder tapping? I think, and I'm probably not going to say this correctly, but, or what the exact phrasing was, but uh, Jose Phyllison um, has created like the Educolor movement in community with other like um, people that he's known and they're trying to build this, you know, we build EDU movement. And I, I recall him saying something about like, you know, as you, maybe it's as you're climbing up the ladder, right? Whatever, you know, as you're moving forward and you're building this collective, you got to bring people with you. So how are you bringing people with you and um, amplifying those voices? How we, I think that's, that, that shift in my thinking a little bit is one way that I think we get better at sharing. Like the idea that we're learning in community and we're bringing people with us. We're not competing with people. We're bringing them with us because we have a common goal. Um, and so I think that's one way to think about how we get better at sharing. I don't know. I'll pause here. One thing when we, Crystal, when you brought up the credit where credit's due again, one thing I've started doing is that um, when I cite someone, like if I have the place to do it and permissions and everything, when I cite someone and their work, I put a photograph of them mm. on the slide because I want to put a face with what I'm sharing because I want to acknowledge that I'm building on this idea 
I want to, and that's one way that I think that I've tried to amplify voices, um, especially of people of the global majority and those that are historically and presently excluded. Um, and there's something I feel like when you do that, putting that face to a reading or a quote, um, I don't know, is one way to maybe towards humanizing that here are these ideas. And we talk about how yeah. representation is essential, right? It's, um, it matters. And so this person who created this quote is more than just these written words, but, you know, and, and they're more than just the visual representation of their pictures. But if I, but if I hyperlink here and send you to a blog or a podcast or this latest book that they came out with, I think that's, is it that in some way giving kind of constructive and maybe educative feedback on the, the impact that these people have had on you, which then kind of can promote that cycle or um, support or um, feeling like you can share your ideas? Mm -hmm. I love that. I do like that idea. I haven't put actual real pictures, but I do on digital materials, like what you've shared and what Catherine Ye has shared. I put your little bitmoji on there. Um, so maybe I just need to put your real pictures on there. <laughs> I use bitmojis, but yeah. Well, it's like what you said before. I mean, like this, it's a human, uh, the sharing it was, uh, the sharing between us has been like, through, Hey, we're, there's a mutual respect and care for each other. And like, and, and just putting the picture, like this, this was some, someone, someone put something out into the world, put an out idea out there. They put care, they've cared for you, even though they never saw your face and like, mm -hmm. because they put these things out there. And so I don't know, that's, there is, there's a beauty in that. And so like, I love that. You, hey, let's, let's look at their face. Let's get it. Let's build even though that maybe it's a one-sided relationship because you're just seeing their work, but they're still, you're, you're starting to say, oh, well, and you can almost have some gratitude for that person in seeing them and seeing their work. So I, I, I know I this would idea. go against like, oh, sorry. I was like, they, they, you can express too, not just like this quote, but the way that, or whatever you're sharing has had an impact on you and your growth as an educator. You can talk about if you know that person personally you can talk about other aspects of their identity that you know that they've shared with you or things that they like to do towards rehumanizing the people who are trying to move us more towards, you know, collective liberation, um, towards social justice. Um, yeah. What were you going to say, Crystal? I was just going to go off on a rant about how dehumanizing uh, sometimes reviewers can be. And if they just saw that the person on the other side of whatever manuscript got submitted is an actual human being and sometimes is a practicing teacher uh, and to read those reviews, I, I wonder if, if we actually had to, which I do, I write all of my reviews so where the person who wrote the manuscript would read it because I would, I would want them to be able to know that I'm not saying two different things, one to the editor and one to them. Right. Um, but oftentimes we have reviewers, maybe it might be reviewer two or whatever, who just, they, they completely use, lose sight of the humanity of the person on the other side. Right. And this is particularly true of practicing teachers that are trying to put their work out in historically academic spaces like the journals that we participate in. And so they might find you know, more success in teachers pay teachers where they get monetary, um, uh, whatever they, they, they get monetary 
um, compensation. payment compensation. Yeah, there you go. for it. Whereas you don't really get monetary compensation for an article that's in MTLT. And you might also get some reviewers that aren't really seeing your humanity. And so I think if we're going to ask practicing teachers and or pre-service teachers to participate, then we need to keep reminding ourselves of that in different ways. So, yeah. So I want to honor your time and I really appreciate the time that you've given, but I would be, you know, if we're talking about sharing, we're talking about elevating work. I, I want to ask each of you and I'll go first. So I'll give you time to think to share something, you know, is there something that you'd like to promote? Like something you're like, Hey, I, and it doesn't have to be the best thing. To talk, it just could be something like, I want, I want to share something. So um, we're doing a little shoulder tapping here. So one that I, I've shared a couple of times, but I don't know if I've shared it on the, in the podcast was another podcast that I've listened to. It was during the midst of the pandemic. It was one of the best ones I've ever, I've listened to it after several times, but is uh, the, what we do for the love of math with Marion Dingle and Dr. Naomi Jessup and two people. I, I mean, I've gotten to know Naomi a little bit over the last year, but I, I don't know Marion Dingle at all, but I would love to have a conversation with her. But I mean, that con- that the conversation that's recorded on that podcast is, I believe it's the Heinemann podcast and just the perspectives on mathematics and the power of mathematics. And then just thinking about roles of family and, and how all that plays into. And, and again, that was right in the midst of the pandemic. It was a, I can't recommend that podcast episode enough. So I'll, I'll post a link to that in the show notes. How about anything from you, either of you? Who wants to go first? Anything? Oh, Crystal's got one. So I have a number of friends who are working on uh, ethnic studies standards at the state level. And uh, I'm just very familiar with the California and the Texas work that those folks are doing. And so if you happen to see on Twitter, on social media, on any listservs in terms of um, offering constructive comments and feedback, uh, or even just saying, yes, I absolutely support ethnic studies standards, degrees, curriculum, courses, teachers, um, we really need your help right now because the work that they're doing, um, and especially in Texas, is really going up against a lot of myths and disinformation. Mm -hmm. And it's incredibly important to build a larger collective for more people to see that ethnic studies is important. It's a tool in which we can analyze the world and to reflect and learn on our history and then to also make gains that we can start to set right now for our future, uh, for our future selves. And so the more often that you can, whether that sign a petition, you can go to a school board meeting, you can support teachers that are working on these things. Um, I highly encourage more of us to do that. And if you want more information, I will tweet it out uh, sometime today so that you can go ahead and head there. There we go. Jen, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd like to give out a shout to Educolor. So I mentioned Jose Villasen and the wonderful team that's there that they're trying, they've been part of and leading um, this Educolor movement. So you can follow them uh, on Twitter at EducolorMVMT. Um, also follow the hashtag WeBuildEDU. They're opening up the membership more widely. Um, uh, they've had uh, the EduColor Summit, and I've been to the last two, and, it, and it's straight fire because nice. you get to hear from people across, uh, from all different um, areas. Like 
they have a student panel. They have um, edu color teachers, podcasters, um, community, people from the community, different stakeholders in um, moving towards that collective liberation where they're, you know, they're advocating for issues around educational equity, uh, agency, social justice. Um, so I just want to give a shout out and amplify there where I can, because I've gotten a lot out of the EduColor movement. It's one of the few spaces I go to where I feel like I can show up as my whole self, right? And there's people in the space that look like me. They look like the community that I serve, right? And so I'm learning so much from them. And they're and they're in all different fields, whether, you know, science, English language arts, um, community activists. And so it, that's one of the places where I'm thankful that, that there is that movement, that they're sharing and helping me become a better human being. So I want to I want to give a shout out there, and please do check out edgycolor.org. Beautiful, and we'll put all links to all this stuff in the in the show notes. And so that it's a great great one to end on. So thank you, Crystal. Thank you, Jen, for uh, being willing to join me uh, for this conversation. And it was a, a little bit uh, different one, but I I, I just I th- I think the stuff that both of you do uh, for the field and just for just being good people too. <laughs> just, it's just, uh, it's just a, it's a privilege to, to have a relationship with both of you and just to, to call you colleagues, call you friends and look forward to more great work going forward. Oh, likewise. Thank you so much, Joel and Crystal. Yeah. Same. Gosh, I, I really, I just enjoy talking with them. And, you know, again, the, the secret of the podcast is, it's an excuse to have these conversations. And then the fact that I get to have these conversations and get to share them with others is, is fantastic. And so that the purpose of this episode was trying to think about how to do it better. And hopefully that this was a, a mile marker in my development and trying to think about how to uh, podcast better. And I feel, I feel it was. So that is all we have for this episode of the Amador Planet podcast. Show notes for this podcast for this episode can be found at amadonplanet.com forward slash episode 54. And if you're looking for ways to support the podcast, you can always subscribe to the podcast. You can rate and review the podcast. Um, you can also follow at Amazon Planet on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or like the Amazon Planet Facebook page. Uh, we also have um, the Amazon Planet store, Amazon Planet Bookshop, where links are going to be in the footer at AmazonPlanet.com, where your purchases support the production costs of the podcast. And also in those show notes, we're going to have all the links to all the things that you heard about in the podcast lots of good stuff in there along with the uh, previous episode of the podcast that we had with jen wolf and a episode of the teaching math teaching podcast that we had with uh crystal kellen and craig again two amazing teachers and uh wherever you find them on other platforms too go seek them out so thank you for listening to this episode of the amino planet podcast thanks to crystal and jen for sharing their time and expertise thanks to matt mifflin for the music in this episode and thank you finally Thank you to all of you out there who are seeking to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you have been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace. Peace.